gym at the kids' check-in table, visit our photo app, and make sure you post your photos on social media. Our current series is called Let's Go Change the World. As we make our way through the book of Acts, you can turn to Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 6 is where we're going to be at today. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. The second missionary journey began last week. It almost didn't happen because the church had some things it had to rumble about, but it did. And now we are embarking on this awesome second missionary journey with Paul and Silas and Timothy. The gospel arrives in Philippi today. And there, we're going to spend a few weeks in Philippi, so this is, um, this is Philippi part one, but we're going to spend a few weeks in Philippi, which is the gospel falling in Europe. For the first time, the gospel touches the shores of Eastern Europe. And fun Father's Day fact, you want a fun Father's Day fact? Philippi is a city named after Alexander the Great's father. What a proud father he is, son who conquered the world, ruled a vast empire. So Philippi is named after Alexander the Great's father. Now on this second missionary journey, six New Testament books are going to spring out of this trip as letters written to these cities. Much of the New Testament is what's called an epistle, a correspondence between an apostle and people who are facing real challenges in what they believe and how they're behaving. So Philippians is one of those books that will come from this time in Philippi. It's cool to think that those in Philippi were the first to get the book of Philippians, like the first ones to hear it, and we have it because Paul went to town, got in their business, figured out how they were feeling, what they were thinking, and through Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Spirit authored this letter to Philippians. Let me just read a few of the most beloved verses from the book of Philippians before we start our time there, right? Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. What about Philippians 1, 19? For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, which leads to 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How about Philippians 2.13? For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. How about 3.12? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How about 3.20? Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And how about 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's all from the book of Philippians. Some of the most treasured verses in the New Testament. This city is the reason we have these verses. Because God showed up through the Apostle Paul, and, and these people had needs. And eventually this letter reached them with some of the most awesome verses that we know. But it all starts, started in Acts chapter 6. So let, or 16. So let's pray and then we'll get into Philippi part 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And for this, this city, this great city in the Roman Empire. 
full of people that you saved by your grace for your glory, as they got to know each other and they were ministered to and they grew up in faith, thank you for the book of Philippians that would come about from these interactions for some of these precious verses that you have given us to, to help our hearts in times of distress, to help us figure out what this world is like and show us, Lord, that it started with this trip. Thank you, O Lord, for this book, for the what you're going to do through it today. May your spirit work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now let's find out how Jesus changed lives in Philippi. It says in chapter 16, verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The first thing you can write down is this. Paul shows how we must follow God's will. Paul shows how we must follow God's will. The points spring from the people in this narrative text today. What does Paul show us? Well, he's following God's will. Notice how it says we, first time Luke shows up, the author shows up in his own book here. It says in verse 10, we sought to go on into Macedonia. So Luke was an eyewitness uh, at this portion of the book that he was writing, which is really cool too. They were following God's will. So on this second missionary journey, there are 17 cities mentioned on their itinerary, eight regions, and get this, before we get to Philippi and see what God's about to do, they had to endure 400 miles of no, and then they got where God was leading them. We have a map here of the second missionary journey we'll put up there. It started way off to the right, which is where Jerusalem was. They went through Tarsus, which is on the right. Paul's hometown, then through the churches they planted on the first missionary journey. And then look at these names that we just hear. There's Phrygia, Asia, Mysia. And they kept trying to go uh, south into the Asia area, north into Bithynia. No, no, no. Keep going. And then finally they ended up in Troas, and way up in the upper left is where Philippi is. That's where they finally landed. Look what they passed by, though. They went past Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, Thyatira, Philadelphia. I mean, the seven churches that are going to be mentioned in Revelation were just bypassed because God said, keep going. This is a picture of following God's will. Paul shows us how we must follow God's will. Well, how did it happen? You can write this down. The Holy Spirit was directing their steps. The Holy Spirit was directing their steps. It says in verse 6, the Holy Spirit was the one forbidding them to stop. Nope, keep going. The Holy Spirit was doing that. There are several ways the Spirit could have been doing this. Could have been through a prophet. Could have been directly speaking. The Spirit does speak in the scripture. It could have been, uh, there's a variety of ways, but we know it was directly attributed to the Holy Spirit that it was happening. And then it says in verse 7, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus fascinating phrase spirit of jesus did not allow them so they kept passing by and then a vision appeared in verse 9 showing them that it was macedonia where they were heading so the holy spirit was directing their steps being forbidden told to keep going don't go that way don't go that way often people don't know 
as much about the Holy Spirit as they know about the other two persons of the Trinity. We know a ton about God the Father. We know a lot about Jesus. But the Spirit, a lot of people, that's kind of the one they don't know a ton about. It's a huge theme in Luke's writings. In fact, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> has been mentioned 30 times, 30 times already in 16 chapters of the book of Acts. That's huge. So the Spirit is on earth directing heaven's plan. This is a supernatural direction of God. There's the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit again, then a vision. This is supernatural direction. A vision is a dream with a meaning that becomes clear now. What do we learn about this? Well, the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, so the Spirit is dwelling within every believer in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is also dwelling within the church. So singular and plural, the Spirit is inside of God's people, among God's people, offering direction, offering comfort, clarifying that God does have a plan, saying go, slow down, stop, stay, and over time it becomes clear. This is true of big, small decisions, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's a promise. That's a promise. Now, there's a variety of ways he can do it. Here it's happening in supernatural ways. A vision, the Spirit directly forbidding them to go places, that's highly supernatural. The Macedonian call is also, it's become a famous phrase of like the Macedonian call, like getting great clarity that this, God wants me here now, or I know this is where I'm going, the Macedonian call happens as well. So it says in verse 8, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia to help us, to save us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the Holy Spirit was directing their steps. Well, write this down. Here's a question that we have that comes out of this text. How can I know and follow God's will? Maybe you have decisions you have to make right now. Maybe you're wondering what God has for you generally in life or specifically in a big decision. And you're like, must be nice to have a Macedonian call. I haven't had a Macedonian call. I could really use one of those right now. It is confusing to pick the right road in life. Back to Father's Day, let's just point out the obvious that sometimes dads struggle with directions. Am I right? Dads can uh, get lost, right? And sometimes it's not their fault. It's that the directions were not clear, or Siri messes it up, or the street signs even throw you off. I've got a picture here of a few really confusing street signs. All right, if you're trying to get somewhere and you come to that stop sign, you're going to be like, I don't even know what to do with that. I love how with this other, you know, they made the street sign about it, and then they're like, you know what, just good luck. It's, uh, it's going to be a tricky one. Maybe in life you have felt this way. Maybe you feel this way right now. You're like, I can't go that way. I can't go that way. I can't go that way. I can't turn around. Where am I supposed to go? I love the picture here of God directing this missionary journey over time. I love that. Because it gives us confidence that he is directing our steps as well. Often we want to know God's will. We want to follow it. Who do we marry? What job do I take? Where do I live? Big decisions, small decisions is now the time. God will reveal his will, 
But let's understand here in the scripture that this is a highly exceptional case. And it's a very rare way that God reveals his will. So you shouldn't go home tonight and be like, I'm about to go to sleep and I want a vision. All right. <laughs> highly rare. You have to know that because you can't just take what you see in scripture and say, well, that's going to apply to me tonight. You have to take the whole counsel of God. And if you do, you will understand that this is incredibly rare. Not, not only in the Bible, but in the lives of the apostles. They don't always get a vision every time it's for a big decision. Sometimes they're like, I don't know what's going on here. So this is very, very rare, which shows us that it, God himself is compelling them for a very special, important purpose here. This is an exceptional case where they're being supernaturally led. A vision is mentioned five times in the book of Acts. We have to think clearly about this because there are too many people who try and super-spiritualize everything they're doing. And they're making really bad decisions and they're writing God's name over the door they're walking through. Well, God told me to do this. Well, I have a piece about it. I know this is the person for me. This is the way I'm supposed to go. You're going to bankrupt yourself if you make that business deal. Yes, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can't smother spirituality over folly and make it God's will. So watch out for people who claim to have the walkie-talkie with God. Well, God told me this. Well, God said this. Well, I heard this. Well, it's incredibly rare in Scripture for this to happen. And if people are acting like they have a secret channel to God, they're very misguided on how God ordinarily leads and guides his people. So be careful how we apply this. Think clearly about finding God's will. The Bible is our compass and our map when it comes to knowing God's will. I've got a picture here of uh, a compass and a map, right? When you're navigating through this life, primarily God's way, his voice, his directing is the word. It says in the Old Testament, you will, you know, hear a word. This is the way, walk in it, directing you to God's word. So following God's word is the map, is the compass through this life. And it's often more like a compass, meaning go this way. Well, where's the X that marks the spot? It's more often than not a direction. Don't go that way in your finances. Don't go that way with your words. Don't go that way, right? Go, go this way with your parenting. Go this way in your marriage. It's usually a compass. And if you're going in the general direction God has told you to go, then that's wisdom, and you will reap what you sow. There will be a crop that comes up for following God's will. And if you go against God's will, then eventually a crop will come up of folly and shame and guilt and fear. So more often than not, you're following the compass of God's word in God's direction. And maybe God doesn't have an exact brand of television you should buy when you're standing there at Costco. Well, which one is it? I don't even know what God's will is. Maybe it doesn't matter. But are you making a wise financial decision in that moment? That counts. You can have confidence that God is leading you because the Spirit is inside of you. This proves that God directly, blatantly, supernaturally will, will provide direction to your life, but you often won't see it. I saw an interesting, awesome, helpful tool online. Eight tests to know if something is, God, is God's will. And I think this rounds out what we're seeing in Scripture here. Um, eight tests for decision-making. Number one, the scripture test. Has God already spoken about it in his word? Two, secrecy. Would it bother me if everyone knew this was my choice? And these are all tied to scripture. Three, the survey test. What if everybody followed my example? 
So everybody did it. Four, spiritual test. Am I being people pressured or spirit led? Five, stumbling. Could this cause another person to stumble? Six, serenity. Do I have peace through prayer? And guess what? A lot of people want to run right to that one. I have peace. That's not the only thing you have to be worried about. Seven, sanctification. Will this keep me from growing in the character of Christ? Will it make me more worldly? And then eight, supreme. Does this glorify God? I love Ephesians 5, 8, and 10. Walk as children of light. Try to discern what is pleasing to God. So how can I know and follow God's will? Well, I hope it's helpful that you understand this is highly exceptional, but it did happen, and it shows God is directly directing our lives, and there are many ways he does that, and we are told to seek that out to keep in step with the Spirit. Write this down. So therefore, have you discovered and embraced God's plan? If God is providing direction and he has a way for you to go, have you discovered it and have you embraced it? Have you accepted God's will? Now, this could be a catch-all. I mean, geographically, are, are you like, I'm here and I'd rather be there? Like Arizona, Florida, Indiana. I'd love to be there, but I'm stuck here. When God says stay, and he doesn't make a way for you to leave, are you good with that? What about, you could broaden it out to your relationships, where you're at with your spouse, or your kids, or your boss. Maybe you've done everything you can, and you don't like where things are, and you wish you were in a better place there. Are you okay with that? Do you understand God's working through that? Maybe you have health issues, and you're like, I don't want to go to the doctor again. I wish I was in a different place with my physical wellness or emotional wellness. I don't like where I'm at. And maybe God's allowed that. Have you made peace by embracing God's plan and knowing that God's spirit is going to lead you through all the undesirable parts of your story? Hey, 400 miles of no is very unpleasant. But they got where God was leading them. They got where God was leading them. Maybe you feel like you've had 400 miles of no. You had plans. God had other plans. Have you made peace with that? Have you trusted God with how he's directing your life? We can have great assurance through this passage that it's all working together by his direction and for his glory. Great assurance because Jesus is alive and his spirit is at work. But it's a hard, humbling reality to know that God will refuse us entry and take us on the longer road. His path, though, will lead us to greater glory. So number one, Paul shows us how we must follow God's will. The Spirit was directing their steps. We can know and follow God's will. Have you discovered it? Have you embraced God's plan? All right, now number two, we're going to meet a woman named Lydia. Lydia shows us how we must be saved. Write that down. Lydia shows us how we must be saved. So they're going. They're going to preach the gospel. That's what they're called to do. This is a heavenly mission. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace on the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. That means it's a city with a lot of dignity. A lot of Roman dignitaries live there, former war veterans. It's got a lot of clout. Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed 
there was a place of prayer. So they were looking for a synagogue, likely not a synagogue in the city, so maybe the Jewish people they're looking for were meeting by the river, didn't find very many. Um, so it says, we suppose there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Even if there was like, you know, 10 men in the city, they, sh they should have or could have formed a synagogue. We don't know exactly what this means, but it's kind of an unlikely thing that they're stumbling upon here. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. That means that she was likely wealthy, a merchant from a different place, doing business in town, a better town. Uh, purple goods were for the wealthy, cost a lot of money, hard to make. So this was like a very wealthy businesswoman who was in a very wealthy city, and she was out to this place of prayer. And she was, it says here, a worshiper of God. So she had become a convert into the Jewish faith. Uh, she was a worshiper of the God of the Old Testament who she learned. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia shows us how we must be saved. She was from Asia, but doing business here in Europe. Wealthy Gentile convert. No real synagogue. She was still in this like outcast type group where they believed in one God. And she was our first known convert in Europe, which is a pretty awesome thing. And this completely gives glory to God's heart for women who were very marginalized, overlooked um, in the ancient world. And Europe was at first taken by Lydia. She had money. Having money usually makes it harder for people to get saved. She's an unlikely candidate to be the one who opens Europe to the gospel. She's a Gentile, and she's got a lot of money. Wealth usually makes people spiritually apathetic and self-reliant. It also makes them afraid of losing what they have and therefore avoiding to make unpopular decisions. Here she is, though, outside the city, worshiping this one true God, which makes her a bit of an outcast among her people. We also learn that the apostles knew they were to preach the gospel here. And we also see that God opened her heart to pay attention. Verse 10, preach the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And then it says that God opened her heart in verse 14 to pay attention to what was said by Paul. All of this was God's way of getting the truth about Jesus to Lydia so that she could become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and then be the gateway through which all of Europe would be exposed to the gospel. So Lydia shows us how we must be saved. You can write this down. Therefore, who is God and how can I know him? Who is God and how can I know him? We have a clash of ideologies found in this city. People believe very different things spiritually. So who is God and how can I know him? The Trinity is very present in this passage. The Holy Spirit is very active. It's called the Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Jesus in verse 7. That's pretty rare, but it directly links uh, God the Spirit, God the Son, together as co-equals of deity here. Um, God the Father also is the one who is leading the way through all of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So it's a highly Trinitarian passage, specifically linking the Spirit with Christ Jesus. So we know that, according to the New Testament, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit is seen here directing all focus to the Son. They're not seeking out the Spirit. They're not 
praying to the Spirit. The Spirit is directing all to the Son, just as the Father is as well. And then, knowing Christ, he directs worship and glory also to the Father and attention to the Spirit as well. But our eyes are on Jesus Christ. Fascinating that in Philippians 1.19, the epistle written to this city, the Spirit of Jesus is also mentioned. So this is an important idea for their city. We'll see why in a bit. Uh, and also, to broaden this theme out a little bit, in 1 Peter 1.11, it says it was the Spirit of Christ working in the Old Testament to reveal God's will. So fascinating, the nature of God. We learn a lot about this phrase, the Spirit of Jesus, and the idea that the Spirit and Christ are both deity. Who is God and how can I know him? Well, Lydia worshipped the one true God, God the Father. She had heard about all these mighty deliverance stories in the Old Testament. Now God the Spirit is alerting her to God the Son, and she is receiving truly the full and final revelation of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Her faith is becoming whole. So who is God and how can I know him? Lydia is fascinating here. She was raised being told there are thousands of gods out there. The Greek gods are innumerable. Somehow one day she woke up to the reality that there is one true God. These are just some of the ancient Greek gods. You would, like, there's, there's 12 big ones, but there's a, others, Zeus, you know, you would know Poseidon. Uh, there, there's so many gods, and you have to know about them. Don't make them mad. You know, you've got Hercules, you've got Eros, you've got Aphrodite. You've got, you've got to know them, and you have to make sure they're happy with you so your crops grow and your nation is safe. And watch out. Don't make them mad. Imagine being raised, being taught that there's thousands of gods. They believed that there were 3,000 gods just in the sea to worry about. Careful when you are going fishing. This is what she was raised to believe. And one day, bam, the light bulb goes on and she goes, there's one God. One God who has all the power over all of it. What a relief that I don't have to worry about pleasing over 3,000 gods. What a, what, a, what a terror, because how can I be right with this one God who has more power than all the gods I was taught about combined? How can I be right with a being so mighty? What a fascinating reality that she believed in the one true God. The nature of God is monotheistic. There is one true God. There are not millions or thousands of gods, Greek, Romans. They don't control the crops, the rivers, the sea, the stars, the sun, and the moon. But Lydia shows up to the family party and says, I believe there's one God. What are you talking about? That's crazy talk. She was a bit of an outcast. And we see here that this one God is the seeker. This one God, though he's overall, everywhere, he is seeking her out. This one woman. Think of all the spiritual machinery that went to getting the truth about Jesus to her, that place, that moment. What a loving God we have. She is on his heart. So we know who God is and how we can know him. Write this down. We must profess faith in the Lord Jesus. She professed faith in the Lord Jesus. She got baptized and her household as well, verse 15. She was baptized and her household as well. She said, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, she wants to make sure that everyone knows that's nailed down. We must profess faith in the Lord Jesus. It's called the Lord, right? The Lord. So she already worshipped God in accordance with the Old Testament principles, but hearing the gospel and believing would reveal her faith to be valid, 
and it would bring her under the new covenant, and it would grant her the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we see here that God's plan for your life here and the next life starts with Jesus Christ becoming your Lord and your Savior. Have you professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You could write this down. We must tell everyone the good news. We are to profess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we are to tell everybody the good news. She professed her faith, she got baptized, and her household, and then her home became the first church in Europe. Hey, have you professed faith in Jesus Christ, and have you become a bold witness of what Jesus has done in your life? Has the Lord opened your heart to the reality that there is one God, and Jesus Christ, his Son, who came into the world to save sinners, and the Holy Spirit himself is convicting you that you need Jesus to save you. Just like Lydia's heart was opened up by God to this message of Jesus Christ, maybe right now, right here, your heart is being opened up by God to the reality that you need the Son of God to save you. That's God who's doing that through his word. And I would encourage you to respond like Lydia did to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If God is working to open your heart, don't lock the door. Fling it wide open and say, here I am, save me, Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? So Paul shows how we must follow God's will. Lydia shows how we must be saved. Write this down. The slave girl we're about to meet shows the supreme power of Christ. Okay, it's about to get really weird. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, spirit of divination, and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. So she's a shouter. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This happened to Jesus too when he was on earth, but there were possessed people who started telling that who he is, and, but they did it in such an obnoxious, loud, public way, and they were really weird because people knew they were demonic. They were working against the spread of the gospel. Jesus silenced them, told the demons to come out of them. You know, it's not like they're getting it right, so we should let them keep talking. They are being an obnoxious impediment to the spread of the gospel. This is spiritual warfare. And she kept doing this for many days. Just imagine being Paul. Remember Paul's a hyper-truth guy, and this girl was following him for many days, shouting at the top of her lungs, kind of trying to, like, support him. And finally, she kept doing it for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, it's to the spirit, meaning the demon in her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Are they telling the truth of what's really happening? These Jews are coming up with strange customs. No, the truth is, Paul just took away their cha-ching, okay, because he set this woman free from what she was doing for them. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off, gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's go back to the slave girl. The slave girl shows us the supreme power of Jesus Christ. Notice that we have an upper-class woman here, Lydia, and a lower-class woman here, a slave girl. The gospel impacts both of them. She is owned and exploited by man, and she is possessed by a demon. Wow. This is like the worst imaginable life. Like being owned by men who want to use you for money and being possessed by a demon. Talk about the worst possible life. Good job. Uh, good luck getting married, building a good life. When a demon is inside of you and you're the property of other people, the spirit, if you dig into the Greek here, literally it talks about the spirit of a python that is in her. It's important to know what that means because there's a lot in that. The spirit of the python would have been specifically the spirit of the god Apollo. Here's a picture of the god Apollo. And uh, in the ancient world, they believed that Apollo, there's a lot of fascinating crossovers here, parallels between Christ and Apollo. Apollo is the son of God, Zeus. The, the, the king of all gods is Zeus, and Apollo is uh, his son. And he's also, Apollo is the god of light, which is fascinating. Apollo also killed a famous serpent in the area of Delphi and took for himself the oracle of this area. So he gained the ability to foretell the future. And therefore, women who were possessed by this spirit were granted clairvoyance. And by the spirit of the serpent that was overcome by Apollo, they could tell the future. Now already you're probably picking up on some parallels to biblical doctrine. The serpent being destroyed, a son of God, clairvoyance, getting knowledge of the future. So there's more going on than Paul gets annoyed and he's like, knock it off! In the spiritual realm, these people believed a great lie. That this god Apollo uh, could conquer this spirit of the serpent and tell you knowledge you can't get any other way. It's satanic. It's purely satanic. So when Paul knocks this demon out of this woman, their entire system is shown to be a fraud. Just like God judged the gods of Egypt through Pharaoh, he's judging the gods of Greece and Rome through instances like this. She calls them slaves, doulos, slaves of the Most High God. Fascinating parallel too. They are slaves of God. She is a slave of these masters and her God. She's actually right, but it's more than that because in Galatians 4, 6-7, we are slaves that also become sons. How beautiful is that? How God treats his servants. Both she and the apostles claim to speak for God. And the God they claim to speak about is a son of the great God. What parallels there are in the spiritual realm. Why did people pay fortune tellers back then? Power. Uh, one writer lists a few different things they're going for. Protect a person from misfortune. Attack someone or curse them. Win others over to their good graces or business. Um, or maybe even to coerce the gods for a blessing. In this case, it's to know the future. She could tell you the future. So the slave girl shows us the supreme power of Christ because in the name of Jesus Christ, the spirit who gave her these abilities was banished from oppressing her anymore. What power Jesus has 
over the unseen spiritual realm. Write this down. Jesus released her from demonic possession. Jesus released her from demonic possession. This was a miracle and a great spiritual contest of truth and influence in the region. It would be called a sign and a wonder and a proof that Jesus is alive and that Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. All this is happening at once. Their messengers are reliable. She's a fraud. That's what's going on. Jesus released her from demonic possession. This proves that Jesus has supreme power over all powers in your world, including the natural world, but specifically the spiritual world. And boy, do we need to know that. Paul said, verse 18, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, and it came out that very hour. This is the mighty power of Jesus Christ in the spiritual realm. Now maybe you feel like you got a bad lot in life. The deck was stacked against you. Maybe you feel like your life is hopeless. Uh, this girl's got you beat. I would say, are you owned by other people who are using you for money and possessed by a demon? I think she's got you beat. And yet Jesus was able to deliver her from spiritual oppression, and he's able to deliver you from any and all spiritual oppression as well. That's great news. Few people are actually possessed by demons. All are harassed by them. We are all also spiritually dead and enslaved by sin. So while you might not need Jesus to come up and get a demon out of you, you need Jesus to take care of your greatest problems, which are spiritual. You need him to give you new life in your soul. Then, greater he who is in you than he is in the world, the enemy can't touch you. But before you become a born-again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what the Bible says? It says you are a member of the kingdom of darkness. And those who rule that kingdom can do anything with you they want. You're a slave to the darkness. And Jesus must set you free. That's a horrifying reality. Sometimes people are afraid of going to hell, and they should be. But they don't realize on earth that there's already spiritual forces opposing them. That hell has actually already begun, and only Jesus can set them free from that. Because he has supreme power over the spiritual realm. Spiritual warfare is real, and Jesus alone can cover you in armor that no spiritual foe can ever penetrate. And give you a shield and a sword that works on demons. He can give you the protection you need in the spiritual realm. Too often, people don't even think Satan is real. Tell you what, if you get in the ring with Mike Tyson and you say, I don't even think Mike Tyson is real. Oh, you're going to find out. You're going to find out. You're going to find out real quick. Jot this down. Jesus showed their false god was a lie. Jesus showed their false god was a lie. Paul talked to the spirit and said, get out. He didn't say, Apollo, son of Zeus, because that's all nonsense. It was not a god inside of her. It was a demon who was deceiving. So their false god was a lie. The power she had was real, but deceptive. Not a god, just a demon pretending to be gods. And there was no problem defeating this demon. Effortlessly, Jesus could command the demons, with even thousands of them. He could tell them exactly what to do, and they had to do what he said in that minute. A demon strong enough to rip your arm off 
They begged for mercy when Jesus was around. That's the power you need. Jesus showed their false god was a lie. Maybe you have, in your past or in your present, tried to gain some advantage in the spiritual realm through charms or spells or songs or some sort of incantation, and you're right to think you need leverage there that's going to actually direct the outcome here. You're kind of right. But if you're not going to Jesus Christ, you're wrong in the place that you're trying to access that realm. You're trying to hack into it, and that's going to backfire on you. I was in an Uber once in Atlanta. There was a guy driving me around, and he had these charms, these like Egyptian-type-looking hieroglyphic charm bracelets on and one around his rearview mirror. I'm like, what are those? He goes, oh, my mom makes me wear them. She thinks they give me good luck. And I'm like, do you think they give you good luck? I don't know. I just want to make my mom happy. So mom thinks her son's driving around all day is in danger, puts these Egyptian hieroglyphic charm bracelets on him, thinks her son is now safer because of them. That's one way that people have this superstition that they can impact the spiritual realm through like a charm bracelet. Don't be deceived. All of that is nonsense. You should trust the Lord Jesus, and when you have Christ, you have all authority in the spiritual realm on your side. You don't need a charm bracelet anymore. You have the Lord Jesus who is king over all, and you have nothing to fear from the spirits of that realm. Jesus showed their false god was a lie. Another false god that makes an appearance here is money. You know, it's funny that all the false gods from antiquity, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, they're all like gone now, like nobody is really trying to make Zeus happy anymore. Guess what? Greed is still around. Money is a rival god that's alive and well. This false god was a lie, too. Their greed, their bottom line was their gospel. And when they got bad news, they went to war. It's true today. For many people, the bottom line is their gospel. When it goes bad, they have no hope or joy left. Maybe money is your rival god. You do anything to get it or keep it. You think you're secure because you have it. This false god will let you down. There will be no U-Haul on your hearse. You will let it all go. And what's waiting for you in the next life then? So this slave girl shows us the supreme power of Christ. Jesus released her from demonic possession and showed their false god or gods were lies. Number four, write this down. This is kind of a preview of the next week. The apostles show us we must never give up. The apostles show us we must never give up. So they took it on the chin. Why? Because they freed this woman from demon possession. And they got in big trouble because of it. Got called into court magistrates in charge of the city. They got falsely accused. They got no fair trial. The crowd joined in attacking. Yeah, they are from not around you. Yeah, they are causing trouble. Yeah, they are affecting our bottom line by threatening our local oracle. Verse 23, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. And I love verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I love that. I love that. The apostles show us we must never give up. They had such great endurance and courage as bold witnesses. They show us how we should do it. I don't know about you, but every day I'm tempted to act like Jesus isn't awesome. Doubt, fears, confusion, laziness. Every day I'm tempted to act like Jesus isn't awesome and the world doesn't need Jesus. 
I love these examples in the scripture. Chained, beaten, bloody, midnight, jail, for doing a good thing. They're praising the Lord. They're not quitting. They're singing, they're singing to the Lord. And other prisoners now are listening in. You can write this down. We can't control the response we get. We can't control the response we get. People are wicked and greedy and oppressive. Some will humbly receive the gospel. Some will reject it. We cannot control the response we get. We can never give up based on the response we get. Write this down. We have to suffer for the gospel. We will be humiliated, rejected, scorned, ridiculed, denied. We will be denied opportunities. We will be ostracized. We, some might face physical violence. We, we must suffer for the gospel. And then write this down. We must never stop sharing our faith. We must never stop sharing our faith. This could have been a, that's it, I quit. Big mistake, Silas. Oh, you're telling me. We're, we're in big trouble here. This is what we get for doing a good deed. Time to go home and make tents for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I'm out. We're done. That, that's how kind of this should have read. But I love that they're at midnight singing hymns to God. We are going to intentionally leave them in jail all week long. And then next week we're going to figure out what happens. We're going to make them suffer. All right? And then we'll figure out what God does. But let me tell you this. Come back next week because it's awesome. It's awesome what God does. Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we give you glory today because we have seen and heard great things. Lord, right now there are many in this room who want to follow your will. They don't know which way to go. They don't know how they got to where they are. Maybe, maybe they want to do nothing but get out of here and... That can't happen. Maybe you keep moving them along. They actually want to stop the crazy train they're on. They wish it would just stop. And they see here that you kept these apostles going for 400 miles, much farther than they thought. Lord, I just pray that you would help people to accept how you're guiding them, whether you're saying go, slow down, stop, stay here, calm down. Whatever it is, I pray that they would surrender to your will, they had plans, you had other plans for their family, their marriage, their finances, their health. They had plans, you had other plans. Pray that they would just know that your good spirit will lead them on level ground. I pray that they would know that they don't need a vision to know this, that you're with them. And that as they cry out to you and trust you, you will direct their steps. We saw it happen, and we know it is happening. So give us that faith. Thank you for Lydia opening the gospel up to Europe. What amazing things would eventually happen in Europe for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a foundation for all of the church was laid there. And it started with one woman who said no, no to thousands of gods and worshiped the one true God. What faith she had. Lord, help us to have that faith. And I pray that some here today who've never asked Jesus to be their Savior and Lord would follow her example and publicly profess faith in Christ. They would say, Jesus, I believe. Lord, we are blown away by what you did in that slave girl's life. She had no hope of amounting to anything. What a terrible lot she was given. And Jesus, you set her free. Lord, help us to trust you to impact any and every person who's out there no matter how bad 
their life is because of their choices or the choices of others. And what great endurance we see in the apostles' lives. They never gave up. Give us that same spirit where we can sing and praise you even at midnight. We love you, Jesus. We lift your name on high. We pray all this in your name. Amen.